Welcome to Car Wash, the podcast, your source for real stories and real business insights from the experts, both in and out of the car wash industry. So put it in neutral, beat off the brakes, and take your hands off the steering wheel, because here we go. Here is your guide on this journey, Car Wash Magazine Editor-in-Chief, Matt DeWolf. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Car Wash, the podcast. This is the podcast that makes you a better car washer and a slightly better human being. We set the bar nice and high for you here. I am Matt DeWolf, as always, uh, your host on this program, Editor-in-Chief of Car Wash Magazine. Look, one of my favorite things to talk about, and you may pick this up if you've listened to this show before or watched this show before, I love to talk about people and the power of people and the way that your business can really be impacted by the way you treat and develop and attract your people. So we're going to get into that today. Uh, I've been having a lot of conversations with folks recently around just the hiring market and how in the heck can you stand out in this market and what are you supposed to do uh, when you know the talent pool is maybe a little shallower than you'd like. Um, and guess what? There is a uh, sneaky, um, sneaky, obvious talent pool sitting out there that we're, we're probably overlooking, and I'm, we're going to get into how you can make your business attractive to that population here in a little bit. Uh, joining me today is going to be Megan Ragsdale. Megan is the Chief Operating Officer uh, with Soapy Joe's, one of our favorite, uh, favorite washes, as you may come to know. Uh, Megan's background is super fascinating, guys and gals. It, uh, it really focuses on customer experience and customer um, kind of retail experience creation, but there's also a very important component of that that is all around the employee experience. And I think that's where we're going to have some fun today. So uh, Megan has spent time with big companies like Sony, uh, who you may have heard of. Uh, so, uh, she was the head of innovation for the Research and Innovation Center, and she was the head of customer experience and marketing during a time when Sony as a company was really driving hard toward that retail customer experience. Um, you saw a lot of that uh, during, a, um, during kind of the early 2010s with Sony and Microsoft all trying to create these stores, sort of like another big company you may have heard of called Apple. I don't know if you know them or not. Um, but Megan spent some time with Sony doing, doing that work. Um, she spent some time consulting with Deloitte. She's a certified coach. She's been uh, a change management expert. She knows how to get the best out of people. And she's just, frankly, all around good people to talk to. And so uh, with that, friends, let's welcome to the program uh, Megan Ragsdale. Megan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Matt. It is so great to be here with you. So look, you've got a fascinating background. And like you got to do some pretty cool stuff. Uh, I'm, I left half of it out from when we, we talked previously. but. Uh, I, what I want you to share with people is how in the world did you end up in the car wash world? <laughs> that is a great question. I, I definitely did not know that part of my career was going to wind up in the car washing business. But uh, if you meet our CEO, Lawrence Atisha, you can see how quickly that would happen. I was just coming off an assignment with the North Face uh, retail uh, group. I was doing some coaching and consulting on high performance teams and culture. And a colleague of mine from Sony actually had been working with Soapy Joe's on putting some policies and procedures together and asked me to come along and meet Lawrence and the Soapy Joe's team. And probably in the first 30 seconds, I knew something bigger was happening here than just washing cars. I knew we were building a brand. I knew we had a, a meaning and a purpose to the work that we were doing. And I got hooked literally within the first 30 seconds. 
Yeah, it turns out uh, when you get around good car wash people, you don't stay away for very long. It's, uh, it's, it's that is so industry. true. That is so true. And we've since built a great team. It's been three years. I came in to do some executive coaching and, and culture and people work and wound up staying. And now we are in such a rapid period of growth that it has just gotten more exciting every year I've been here. Well, and what's fascinating too, right, is like with that growth, um, the people become even more important than, than they were to start with. And look, I'm a big proponent. People are always important. But when you're growing and building a bench and trying to resource and staff and operationalize everything as you go bigger and, and, and uh, don't go home, um, that's really important. And I want to I wanna focus a little bit today on what you all are doing at Soapy Joe's and what you're, you've kind of brought from that retail environment and that change management environment to help people set their businesses up for success. So let's start with, with something that everybody wants to know about. Uh, we've been talking a lot about f finding people, right? Like, where can I find talent? You have a you have a um, an interesting perspective on this. Share share where you might think to look for talent. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's an amazing pool of talented people in our female workforce right now, and especially coming off of COVID, where a quarter of the workforce, uh, the female workforce, left. And 80% of the 1 million people who had to leave when school started in the fall as teleschool were women. So we've got a huge gap in our market right now. We have women who had to make some choices between what they need to do personally and what they need to do professionally. And that is the workforce that it's really critical for us to tap into, not only to rebuild our economy post-COVID, but I kind of feel like ignore hiring women at your own peril, Matt, because I think the data on having more women in your organization is really, really compelling. There's a link to financial performance. There's a link to stronger and better cultures, which retains better employees. And typically companies with more representation of women, um, you know, outperform their competitors by quite a bit financially. Yeah, there's no, um, look, <laughs> my wife keeps me, keeps me uh, impressed every single day with, with the perspective that she brings to the work that she does. And I get a chance to see that and be proud of her every day. And my daughters do the same thing. Um, and you talk to a lot of car wash uh, owners and operators out there who have kind of figured this out ahead of the curve and who have set their businesses up so that they are welcoming and good places for women to work. And they're reaping those benefits and they are, they will never go back. Um, so let's get in a little bit to like, okay, I've got 25% uh, of, of women here who left the workforce. They're going to come back. How do I, like, how do I attract them? Like, what does my company need to be like? And what is that uh, environment like to bring them in and make them want to work at my business? That's a great question, Matt. And I think a lot of the things we'll probably talk about today, people might think, well, this is a great environment for all employees, not just women. But I think I want to call attention to where there might be some nuances, in some of these concepts that do mean something a little bit different to women. And, and for that, I want to bring you back to probably something that we all learned in our, in our high school classes, which is really the, the Maslow hierarchy of needs, which is that inverted triangle that really talks about how you get to your potential as a human being. And the bottom two rungs are really about getting your physiological needs, so food, shelter, taken care of. And then right above that is safety. So I know it sounds really simple, but as an organization, if you want really high performing people, you've got to make those two bottom tiers 
not an issue for people. So pay a good salary, offer bonuses, be competitive when you can, give stretch assignments and development opportunities, and don't make safety an issue. So when I talk about safety, I'm really referring that to two types of safety. There is the physical safety aspect, which you know we run um, our car washes late at night. We have reduced crews. The women on your team might have some different safety needs physically than maybe some of the other folks on your team. Just something to think about. But the second type of safety that doesn't get talked a lot about is something that is called psychological safety, which was really made famous when Google decided to study right around 2012, what makes a great performing team? And the number one thing that this project Aristotle surfaced about what really makes a great team is psychological safety. And what that means is that people feel like they can be themselves, they can make mistakes, they can be vulnerable in front of one another, which means that there has to be a really high degree of trust on the team. So I think being able to have those two things really well taken care of are one of the ways that you can attract more women to your organization. You know, you make me think about it. That's interesting timing because I'm reading a book um, by Adam Grant, who's with, um, he's- I love him. Yeah, he's written a lot of, <laughs> a lot of stuff, right? He's like- Think the next again. Book, um, think, again. <laughs> think again, yeah, absolutely. That's I'm like on page like, I don't know, 40, right? But like, he, like this concept of um, rethinking things is totally appropriate in this context because- you might think in your business that you've got to figure it figured out and that your culture is welcoming and that there's no reason why um, you shouldn't be attractive to all walks of life, anybody who really wants a job. But in this book, there's like little stories that pop up and you're like, oh man, I guess I wasn't really paying attention. Like, like stuff like, um, did you guys know? And I'm going to, like, this is really hurting me right now to share this story because I, I learned it and it makes me so sad because I've used this before. But there's a story about frogs, right? And how if you put them in a pool of boiling water, um, it's not it's not going to work, right? You got You can just put them in lukewarm water and bring it to temperature, and you'll you'll boil the frog, and everything will be great. They won't notice. It's false. It's a thousand percent false. That frog is like a human being. If that hot tub is too uncomfortable, it's getting out. So <laughs> that's one of those things. It's like, well, just because you accepted that to be true. You got you to gotta question it a little bit. And like you got to question your own company and your own culture and what you're doing and be constantly reevaluating and rethinking and looking and being open to things. So I think it's funny, like this, all of this conversation came up as I was starting to read this book. And so now here I am rethinking all the things I do. Absolutely. I, I love that author. His book, Originals, is one of the best books that I've ever read. And if you're entrepreneurial in any way, um, I think that's an amazing book. And Matt, you're so right because even though I, I am a woman, it doesn't mean that I know how to do everything perfectly. And I can't assume that I'm doing things perfectly at, at our company. And so I, I think what you have to do first and foremost, and this is something we've done at Sophie Joe's, is you have to be really intentional about wanting to change the dynamic of your workplace. And if you want to attract more women, you have to be intentional about it. You have to set a goal for it. We did that, did that internally, and we were able to double the amount of women working in our offices, in our field, in our home office teams um, within you know under three years, and we're continuing to, to progress there. And I think what allowed us to be able to feel really comfortable attracting our female employees is because many times they come to us as customers. 
And we felt really good about the customer experience we were providing. We're respectful, we're safe, we're driven by a mission and a set of values that we work on here as a company. And values is really, what are those behaviors that we do when no one else is looking? And building community and leading with heart are two of our core values. And when we took a look at our culture, you know, one of the fun questions that that I used to ask uh, companies as a consultant, and it's a really good way to get a pulse on your culture, is just to ask your employees, if you were to compare working here at our company to a known TV show or a movie, what would that be? And then you ask, what would you like it to be? And you're going to literally see things like, we're here at Sons of Anarchy and where we want to be is Modern Family. <laughs> and that's just a really disarming way to get a, a pulse check from your team on kind of where you are and, and whether you're meeting their cultural expectations. So, <laughs> yeah, yes. Sons of Anarchy, fun show to watch. Not a place you want to work. <laughs> Definitely out. not. Definitely not. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, you got to watch your back. Um. Okay, so I want to come back to something you were talking about a little bit earlier, which was this um, the safety concept, right? And what it means to this is this goes along with this whole idea of rethinking, right? Like this as males, let's be frank. Look, we like to mansplain. That's we're gonna do it. We're terrible at even realizing that we're doing it. It happens all the time. Um, and there's also this thing we do where we're like when we want, you know, there's a female in the room, we want them to be one of the guys. Oh, she's one of the guys. That's great. She's, she's in. Yeah. She like, because she's fitting in how we want her to fit in. This is great for her, but psychological safety is something completely different. Can you just kind of reiterate that for everybody? It is. Psychological safety is really about having a people be able to come together on a team and really be able to not fear any kind of retribution for speaking up for communicating new ideas, for being able to share some concerns that that, that person might have about the, the path that we're taking as a company or the strategy, or if something's happening at a site, you want to be able to, to surface that issue without being looked at as a, as a problem child. So really what it means as leaders to create psychological safety is you have to really be willing to listen in a different way to your employees. And you have to have really, really strong people leaders who can really enforce in a gracious way the policies and procedures that you've built as a company to really eradicate any kind of discriminatory behavior whatsoever. So as it pertains to women, some of those things, Matt, like you already mentioned, are, are things that have become really popular, like, like mansplaining, but where, where that term comes from can be a form of sexism that's a little bit harder to see on the surface. So blatant discrimination might be, you know, um, maybe the female employees on your team are getting a little bit of unwanted attention from some customers or other team members. But then there's also this concept of being a little bit benevolent about it, where you may have women in your organization, but you don't have them in decision-making roles. You may have them in roles where they're required to do the caretaking of the company. And I think one of the most important things you can do to help really foster some psychological safety in an environment that attracts women is you've got to have women in the highest levels of leadership in your company. You've got to have women really well represented at all levels. There's a, there's a phrase called, if she can see it, she can be it. 
And that's a really important piece of bringing women into your organization when they know that it's possible for them to um, progress as high as they really want to in the organization and really be able to, to take on whatever role they should desire with the right skill set and the right development. So I think those are really key things that, that create that really fertile foundation for a psychologically safe environment. Yeah, it's, it's this um, idea we talk about a lot, which is, you know, career pathing and being able for people to see that there's room for them to grow within your organization. And if you don't have people that you want to attract within your organization in those higher levels of leadership, guess who's not coming to work for you? Any of those people you're after. So that's a super important component. Um, it's important for women, but important really across the board in terms of like, look, if you want to be a good place to work, you got to be a good place to work and you got to, you got to represent the people you're trying to attract. Um, I'm going to switch gears on you. Sorry. I'm going to, I'm going to switch a little bit here. So um, we were, we were talking about um, psychological safety and I think one of the things that came up in our conversation previous was um, this this idea of mentorship, right? And you people mentoring people who are most like them. And that's a really hard thing. That's Again, it's back to this concept of rethink, right? Like, don't just spend time, if you're a male manager, don't spend time with the male employees who are most like you. And maybe they were similar to your, um, your, your growth path, or maybe they show a little bit of an inclination towards some mechanical component that you maybe thought was cool spend time mentoring everyone. And can you talk about what you guys do with Soapy Joe's to kind of do that? Absolutely. Uh, I had a, a, a former mentor actually tell me a phrase that's really kept in my, my own mind in terms of um, being cognizant of where I'm spending my time. And he just said, hands and feet. That's how you know where an organization is spending time. So the hand piece of that is where are you giving out reward and recognition? What are you giving it for? And the feet being, where are you traveling to spend your time? And who are you spending time with? So one of the most important things that, that you can do to develop anybody is to really provide great mentorship. And at Sophie Joe's, that's but one component of what we like to call our talent life cycle. So we actually approach talent really purposefully because our mission here is to build an amazing leadership pipeline, whether people choose to stay with us or if they choose to leave us and contribute somewhere else. And the reason why we do that is because building community is a value for us. And if we are building amazing leaders and leadership skills, then when that person leaves us, they're able to continue contributing to the community. So it's worth it for us to invest the time and energy to do that. So we have a whole um, employee life cycle that we pay attention to. Most people maybe stop at the recruiting aspect and the exiting aspect. But what we do is we onboard our employees very much in the same vein that you would with a really, um, really new customer. We make sure that we immediately onboard them in a really meaningful way that makes that relationship really sticky with the organization. We want to know immediately what their career aspirations are, what their goals are. We like to assess their skills at their role level on a regular basis. So we have a cadence of conversations that happens multiple times over the course of the year. And they're not just limited to performance. That's where a lot of people fall short of really managing talent. So we're very intentional about having career conversations, which are really about that person's potential, their willingness to grow. What are the key workforce uh, criteria and critical skills that we need as an organization? 
And then where are they on their own path, their, their own development plan to achieving that next level? And so we cycle through these career conversations, which is a great way to surface new talent because people will surprise you constantly that they are very interested in leadership. And you might not know that if you didn't have a very intentional time set aside to just discuss that person's career. So we're able to really double down on our investment in that individual. We create customized training and development plans. And then we actually map our talent as an organization and where they are in their development. And what is our succession plan for each one of these roles? Because not only do we want to keep people and keep them happy and engaged, but we also, as an organization, don't want to be in a situation where we were caught by surprise with somebody leaving or that we didn't have um, a, a person who could backfill a role. So really, it's also to continue that great membership experience. It takes that friction out by turning over employees constantly. And I'm really proud of how we've been able to do that here. Hey, you're speaking my language. I'm all about journeys, <laughs> journeys and life cycles, because it's a, that's what's at the core of every good story, right? Every good story is a journey and an adventure, and there's a guide, and you're like doing a thing. So, you know, you just take those principles and apply them to, to business, and I think it, it, I don't know, makes things a little easier. It gives you a framework. I'm big on frameworks, you know? It's like yeah. anything that can make yeah. decisions easier. Yes, do all the quadrants in the yeah. framework for the course squares. I mean, Matt, what you're saying kind of is reminiscent of something that I, I remember at, at Deloitte, I took an entire year of my career just to focus on what career customization would look like. And this was an idea incubated at Deloitte that I really still think to this day is really brilliant. And kind of the, the premise is that everybody's career looks like a bit of a sine wave. There's peaks and there's troughs. And different life components happen. Maybe you have some elder care. Maybe you move from individual contributor into a leadership role. And so almost like old stereo equalizer buttons, you have to kind of tune up, tune down certain areas. Companies have to be really agile and flexible with employees to be able to match that journey with them. Otherwise, you're going to churn people out of your organization before you want to and before they want to. And I think being able to respond to those things and really be ahead of them is is the key to retaining a really great team. Well, and the other thing that you touched on that I think is really valuable and that I don't think enough of us are doing is this concept of separating separating the conversation from performance and and just career path or, or career goals, however you want to frame that up. It's it's not different from if you if you volunteer on a board or if you're in, engaged in some activity. There's like the the high level work right that you want to talk about that's like strategic, and then there's all the like operational management down in the weeds stuff that you have to do. You can't have those conversations at the same time because those are different parts of your brain. So I think being really intentional around splitting that out is one going to help everybody in that conversation. It's going to go a lot better. But two, I think it's really important to expose um, our employees and our people to those kinds of conversations because that's stuff that, frankly, people coming into um, the industry at maybe a lower level are, have probably not been exposed to and don't even know exists and don't even know that there's um, a level of belief in you and interest in you and someone who's out there wanting to help develop you that can really take that employee from someone who was maybe going to churn in a few, you know, few months because they weren't getting attention to somebody who will be with you for 20, 30 years. It's powerful. It is incredibly powerful. And you'd be surprised how many people are at advanced career levels and have never really had 
a career conversation. And I think what's wrapped up in that, and I am on my soapbox about the need to be really great at having meaningful conversations with people, really intentional, because you know what it's like, Matt. When you wrap up a performance conversation with a couple of positive things, people are kind of waiting. It's a kiss and a kick. You know, you're waiting for the other shoe to drop and and you can't really intake the investment and interest in you because it's kind of girded around, you know, we're focused on what's what's good for the organization. The goal of the career conversation is really to be all about that individual. You are that person's cheerleader and you're really in his or her corner in that moment. And you're so right. It, it really builds the confidence for people to move into these roles. The fact that, you know, some of these folks really are first time or early career folks and to have, you know, the backing of your leadership team to really be behind you in your development. One of the things that we do in our talent lifecycle that really kind of reinforces that is a program called Magic Moments. Mm-hmm. And this is something that that's really taken off internally in a great way. And I love reading these stories. They're really kind of how I love to end my day. And it's a peer-driven um, recognition program where anybody in the organization can shout out anybody else. And it has just taken off like wildfire. And it just creates this continuous loop of confidence building. And if you get those little um, you know, moments of decisions made and you feel confident in your decision making, which we spend a lot of time talking to our employees about, then you can take bigger and bolder risks as your career continues to unfold because you have the confidence of your track record at that point. So I think all of that is really wrapped up into how you invest in people and how you make them feel like you're willing to spend the time and the energy on making them feel really good inside of your organization. And that is just the best thing you can do for retention. Well, and it goes to, it goes to really, um, I mean, I'm, I'm on this rethinking thing and I can't help myself, but it goes to rethinking what it's like to run a business, to create an organization, to, um, value your people. And I know that, again, you and I had talked previously about, you know, the origins of the ladder, right? Climbing the corporate ladder and how that's not really, that doesn't really work anymore. And it's a different environment and different people and different generations doing this work. And with that comes different expectations. And I think that this, this component of being able to know that, um, the people that you're working with and working for believe in you, is really, really important. I think we all need to keep that um, kind of in the back of my, I mean, honestly, keep it in the front of your mind, but at least at least keep it back here so it can drive some decisions every once in a while. Um, it is. And I, I think, Matt, what, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. You no, first. you go ahead. You go ahead. You say, I think what it does too, and this is where, and if you want to have a book club on Think Again, <laughs> yeah, I will totally, be totally. there with you to geek out on all those concepts. But one of the things that we, we look at too, and because I'm a, a certified mindfulness teacher, um, we try and weave some of these components into our, our learning and our training as well so that we're building up skills of resiliency and we're able to help people overcome fear. And I think one of the, one, there's there's a model of, of fear that I love. It's called the, the SCARF model. And really it's about taking away um, some of these kind of triggering neurological blocks when you're in a moment and you have some sort of a, a question about certainty. And uncertainty about about what my career path looks like, which is much more like a lattice than it is a ladder or a jungle gym where you have to traverse back and forth. Sometimes you're in a career landing position. Sometimes you have to acquire more skills and experiences before you can move on. 
And we like to remove the uncertainty from knowing where I can go in the company by really making it very specific. What competencies, skills, and behaviors are required at every role level? And what does good look like in each of those roles? So that people don't have to wonder, how do I get from assistant manager to site manager to DM? We've laid it out for them. And their career conversations and development conversations are what help build their own customized plan to get on that track. And I think that helps us answer some of the the fears that people may have when they're really thinking about what they want to do and how do they get there. And we try and take away as much mystery around that as possible. Yeah, that customized plan is key. That's 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 the key. Make the people feel valuable and make it Absolutely. make it personalized to them. It's like what you do with customers, right? Like you want the customers to feel valued and personal. You want to use their names when you when you know it. If not, maybe use their vehicle. <laughs> their vehicle. Hey, Ford F one fifty. Good to see you again. Um, yeah. All right. So let's let's back up a little bit here to to something that I want to make sure that we kind of um, kind of wrap up nicely for everyone. Um, if sure. if they're only going to take away a few things, I want them to at least take away this last piece. Uh, can you give us maybe um, five things that I could do today, or two things, or ten? Th- however many things that I can do today to make sure that my business is set up to stand out, right? And to be welcoming and to be a great place for women to work, really for a great place for everybody to work. I mean, let's talk about all the things, Matt. There are so many things. <laughs> we'll be here for a while. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many things that you really can do today that are not um, big lifts for you to do, but would make really valuable leaps. And I think going back to the number one thing is intentionality. You really have to be intentional about wanting to grow the diversity on your team. And again, it will, it will pay it forward for you, not only in your culture, but in your financial performance. So part of being intentional about setting that goal means that there's a lot that you can do in the recruiting part of your talent life cycle. And I think some of the things that are important to remember is that sometimes women only apply for jobs when they believe that they're 100% qualified for them. So as a company, you have to be really good at pushing yourself to get a broader candidate pool. You have to be accepting of candidates that come from non-traditional backgrounds that may not look exactly like the experience that you have listed in your job description. Speaking of job descriptions, use as much neutral language as possible. There's a lot that you can do around really kind of um, sorting through your resume stack, taking names off of your resumes just to kind of eliminate any unconscious biases in your review of resumes. So I would say intentionality and really pushing yourself to recruit and cast a wider net are two things. The third thing I would say is really do assess your culture. If you're not already doing an employee satisfaction survey, please start today. You can do a super simple free one on SurveyMonkey, and that'll give you a really good baseline of how well you're meeting the needs of your employees. And if you're meeting the needs for, for most people, you will, you will be much more able to attract a better candidate. Some of those things that are going to be important are flexibility, really good policies and strong procedures around really kind of eradicating any kind of discriminatory behavior in your culture. I would also say really rethinking, even though we are hourly and there are kind of strict um, hours of operation we need to operate, when you can be flexible with people, do. Because if you make that such a requirement, you're going to miss out on some amazing candidates that may just have a flexibility issue at this moment. It doesn't mean that it is forever. And I think that's going to be a big key 
and bringing women back to work. And I also think lastly, the thing that you can be doing always is really training your organization in how to be a more inclusive culture. There are some incredible classes on nonviolent communication, on crucial conversations, all kinds of topics that would really benefit your organization and really understanding how to be able to be in an environment where all people feel welcome and psychologically safe. So those would be my top five things. Those are those are good ones. Those are, I mean, there's a lot there to, to, to do. I'm going to add one. I'm going to add one. Um, don't be afraid to bring in someone else to help you with your assessment because as human beings, we are notoriously awful at self-evaluating and being self-aware. Even the most like amazing self-aware gurus among us will miss it, right? So don't be afraid to have a little help, get a little outside perspective uh, to do all of these things. I think it's really helpful and humbling, honestly. Uh, Matt, I love that because as as a, as a former culture consultant, I can tell you that, um, and, and I'm in that situation myself sometimes, when you're in the jar, it's hard to see the label. And you're right, having the benefit of a third party who isn't emotionally attached to your organization can really be a great eye-opener for people. So that was an awesome ad. I'm glad you said that. Megan, thank you so much for spending time with us today. I think that there's a lot in here uh, for folks to unpack. I think uh, we've all got a lot of uh, a lot of rethinking to do. But I think at the end of the day, what you all are doing at Soapy Joe's with the way that you're being very intentional and in how you develop your people, how you attract your people, and how you make them feel really valuable every single day is super amazing. And that culmination of all those things, I think, um, deserves real recognition. So kudos to you guys. Thank you so much, Matt. We've got a really great team. Thanks again. It's great to be here. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We will catch you next time. Car Wash the Podcast is your source for real stories and real business insights from the experts both in and out of the car wash industry. Our show helps investors, owners, operators, and managers think about ways to enhance their business. Our podcast is a free on-demand audio program that provides information on the latest trends impacting the industry, tips from successful industry leaders, and inspiration for our listeners.